helping us to worship this day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and we'll be looking at chapter 22 as we spend Christmas in Genesis. As we come to this account of Abraham and Isaac, this narrative certainly points us to the Christmas story. We'll see that in a few moments. But this is such a powerful story. It's so poignant. It's so perplexing. It's provocative. It provokes so many emotions and thoughts. I want to preach it a little differently than I do most texts. Typically, I announce a principle to you and then show you where I found that in the text. And typically, there are three principles or points to a sermon. Today, I really want to let the narrative just drive things because it is so powerful and it's so provocative. And I don't know that I'll answer all of our questions or address all of our emotions today because I don't think that's possible. Uh, but I do want to just let the text, let the narrative do its work, and then we will reflect on it at the end. So let's spend some time doing that together today, just walking through this narrative. Let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this text, these thousands of years. Uh, thank you for surely one of the reasons you have preserved it is to shape us as your people and to shape our hearts and to change the way that we lean into the world and change the way we live and move and have our being. So, Father, I just pray that you would use this text in the lives of your people and the way that you see fit I pray that it would increase our faith in you, that it would grow our trust in you, and that we would look to you to provide all things, knowing that you are faithful to your promises. And I just ask that you would do that and even more in the lives of your people this day, and that you would be willing to do it even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter Let's begin with the first two verses. Hear now God's word. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Stop right there. <laughs> this is messed up, right? I mean, I mean, this is wrong on so many levels that God would call Abraham to do this unspeakable thing. I mean, first of all, killing is wrong, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, down around verse 13, you have the commandment that we're not to murder. And you may be thinking to yourself, hey, these, this is Genesis. You know, we don't get the, the, the Ten Commandments until we get to Exodus, so this is too early on for that. But that's not really the case. Think about it. Who's the original author of Genesis? It's Moses. And when is he writing these things down? Presumably after the Exodus generation has left Egypt. They have gone to Mount Sinai. They've heard God in thunder and lightning and in smoke descend on a mountain. And one of the commandments he's given is not to murder. And now they're in the wilderness because of their disobedience. They themselves are being tested 
just as Abraham is being tested. That's one of the connections that they're supposed to draw from the text. And if you think about these folks, they've just left Egypt where what was going on? Pharaoh was killing their sons, throwing them into the Nile, drowning them so they didn't become too populous as a people. And I'm sure that they hated that and they resented that and they had wounds from that. And now this God is going to call Abraham to kill his own son. These folks are leaving Egypt and they're going to the promised land in Canaan. And God has said one of the reasons why he is driving out the Canaanites, one of the things that he detests about what they do is that they sacrifice their own children to their pagan gods. And God says he detests that. And now he asks Abraham, to do this shocking, this unspeakable thing. It's wrong on some level. Killing is wrong. And it's even more shocking when you think about who this is. Isaac is the child of the promise. Remember last week in Genesis chapter 12, we saw that at 75 years old, God calls Abraham and tells him to leave his country and his family and his father's household and go to a place he will show him. So after 75 years of putting down roots and being with family, he leaves that place behind. He leaves his family behind. He's left everything from his past in order to follow God. And God had promised that he would bless Abraham, and that through Abraham's seed, through his descendant, through Isaac, that all nations of the world are going to be blessed. Abraham waited 10 years after that promise. He's 85 years old. Sarah's 75. They think God's not going to keep his promise. Sarah says, take my handmaiden, Hagar, have a child with her, and maybe that can be the child of the promise. And so Abraham with Hagar has Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not the child of the promise. Abraham says, oh, that you would bless Ishmael. And God says, oh, I'm going to bless him. He will be a great nation. But he's not the child of the promise that I'm going to work through. Sarah, your wife, is going to have a child. They couldn't believe They laughed. That's what his name, Itzhak, means. He laughs. They laughed when God said, you're going to have a child. Because Abraham's 85, Sarah's 75. They wait 15 more years. Abraham's 100, Sarah is 90. It's been 25 years since they've left everything. And they finally have Isaac. And God has kept his promises. And now Abraham's like 110 years old. And, and Isaac is in his teens. And this one, you know, Hagar and Ishmael have been sent away. This is Abraham's only son. And God calls him to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Has God changed his mind about his covenant promises? Abraham had given up his past for God. And now it seems he's being asked to give up his future as well. You know, God calls us as well to be willing to give up everything to follow him. We have to ask ourselves the question, is God enough for us? Is God enough or do we have to have God and other things? Are we willing to give up everything for God because he's the most important thing to us, because he's the most precious thing to us?
I wonder, how did Abraham even sleep that night? He had to be second-guessing himself, right? Had God really spoken? Is that really what he said? Was it God speaking? Was that the right message? I'm not sure I have this right. How could God ask this? I also think of Genesis 18 where Abram pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. God says that he's going to destroy it. He says, listen, if I can find 50 righteous men, will you save the city? If I can find 40, if I can find 30, if I can find 10. If Abraham bargained with God for Sodom, oh, how he must have bargained with God for his own son. I imagine he's up all night, bargaining with God, crying out to God. Genesis 22, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. There's so many details in this story that just blow me away. Early the next morning, yeah, I'm sure it was, because he probably hadn't slept a wink all night. And he waits until it's light enough to get on up. And when he gets up, when it's light enough to get out and does something, he goes and he cuts up wood for the burnt sacrifice, which is his son, Isaac. He goes in himself. I mean, I'm so petty with God. I'd be like, God, really? You're asking me to sacrifice this and I have to chop the wood and carry it to where we're going? Can't you just, I mean, if I'm going to make this sacrifice, can't you at least like have the wood there ready to go? Really? I'm going to have to chop the wood and carry it too? Oh, but Abraham, his obedience here is unbelievable. Can you imagine cutting the wood? On which you will build an altar and sacrifice your child. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. Keep going. Genesis 22 verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On the third day... This has gone on for several days now. God had Abraham travel three days. Why would God have him travel so far? It seems cruel to make him travel and to wait and to agonize in this call that God has placed on him. I imagine Abraham doesn't sleep at all any of the three nights. Isaac and the two servants go down, and I imagine him bargaining with God each of those nights. I'm sure he hasn't eaten in days. He hasn't slept in days. Three days, the third day. Look at what he says. What's the product of all that bargaining? What's the product of all that crying out to God? Genesis 22 and verse 5. He's seen the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. First person, plural, right? The boy and I will go and worship. The boy and I will come back to where you are. Stay here and wait. Now, what's Abraham doing here, right? Is this a lie to keep Isaac and the servants cooperating and moving in the right direction? Or does Abraham really believe what he's saying? That he and the boy will go to worship and then he and the boy will come back. Hold on to that thought. We'll get back to it. Look at verses 6 and 7. Abraham 
took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's old enough to put two and two together. Isaac has seen his father worship before, and he knows how burnt sacrifices work. We have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. Father, where's the sacrifice? Oh, how that question must have pierced Abraham's heart. What do you say to your own son when he asks this question? I think it's instructive for us as well. Because if we have conversations with our children, they are going to ask us questions that we don't know the answer. If you talk long enough and they grow big enough, they will ask you questions you don't know the answer to. I promise. What do we say to our own kids when they ask about things that God is doing that we don't really fully understand, that we're not really sure that we agree with, that we don't really have a good answer to? What do we say to other people when they ask about things God's doing? We're not even sure we understand it. How do we answer those kinds of questions? Abraham gives a a great answer here. It's instructive for us. Look at verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, what's going on here? Is that a great answer? Is it? Is this another lie? Or does Abraham really believe that God will provide? Is he just postponing the painful truth for Isaac as long as possible? Well, as believers on this side of the cross, we don't have to wonder what was going through Abraham's mind because we're told in the New Testament In Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. That's what Abraham's thinking. He reasoned, he thought about what God said. Oh, may we be, don't think that having faith, which is what this chapter in Hebrews is about, don't think that having faith means that we don't use our minds. Abraham reasons, he thinks about what God says. And he reasoned that God could raise the dead. And so when he is talking to his son here in this situation, he's saying God himself will provide. God will answer your question. 
In this situation, I don't know exactly what God is doing, but I know that God is good. And I know that God is faithful. And I know that God is powerful enough to raise the dead. And I know that God will provide for his people. That's the way we should answer our kids, right? That's the way we answer the watching world around us. When we don't have an answer clear in Scripture, we just need to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question, but, but wait on God. Wait on Him to answer, because I know that He's good, I know He's faithful, I know He's powerful, and I know that He will provide for His people. Listen, it is not that we know all the answers because we don't. It is not that we know the future because we don't. But it is that we know our God. And we know what he's like. And we've seen him over thousands of years show his goodness and his faithfulness to his promises and his provision for his people. And so we know that we can trust in him. The waiting is hard. That's what Advent's about. The waiting is hard, but we know he's good. Keep going in the text. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He bound Isaac. If you don't know what that means, he tied him up. Because that's what you do for sacrifice to keep it from scooting off the altar. That's what you do to keep it still so that you can kill it with a knife. That's what you do when you burn someone. We used to tie folks to the stake so that they wouldn't run out of the fire to keep them in the fire so that the flames would consume them. He tied his son up. But what's even crazier than that is think about the, the, the details of this story. Abraham's 110 at least. Isaac's a teenager. I think Isaac could have taken him, right? Look, I'm not doing it, old man, right? I think Isaac could have said, forget this. No way. I mean, verse 6, it tells us who is it that carried the wood up there? Who is it that carried the heavier load? Isaac did. He put the wood on Isaac's back, and he just carried the, the flame and the knife. The implication here, if those things are true, if those details of the story get us thinking, if we're reasoning, the implication is that Isaac willingly submitted to his father. He at least has great faith in his earthly father. And perhaps he has great faith in his heavenly father as well. And we see an amazing faith in these two men. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham's really going to do it. Because he really believes God can put it all back together again. 
I don't know how you react to that. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't like the story. It kind of makes me sick to think about. But I have to ask myself, do I have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? That when all you've ever wanted, when all you've ever dreamed about or looked forward to is slashed and burned before your eyes as in an, and, and is in ashes with nothing left, do we believe God can put it back together again? Do we believe that? What an incredibly painful yet powerful display of faith. Let's hurry up and get to verse 11 and verse 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to harm him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Oh, Oh, how Abraham must have wept tears of joy, right? It doesn't tell us in the text what his, re, what his reaction is. But certainly his prayers have been answered. I, I don't know what he did, but I imagine, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is untie my child and, and hug him and hold him close and apologize and say, I'm so sorry to do this. I was following God. You heard the voice from heaven that I was following God. You heard the angel declare from heaven that I was following God. Those things that I said were not lies. I did believe we would go and worship, and I did believe that we would come back, and I did believe that God would provide. Because that's who God is, and that's what he is like, and that is consistent with his character. The angel said to him, now I know you fear God. I want to be clear. Fearing God is just a Hebrew expression that means obeying God's commands. It's a healthy respect. You are God. I am not. I'm going to follow you even when it doesn't make sense to me because you're bigger than I am. And not that you can push me around, but I just know that you know more than me. I know that you're better than me. You're bigger than me. Your ways are higher than my ways. And if it comes to my will and your will, I'm going to trust yours over mine. Because you're bigger and you're smarter and you're more powerful. And I trust you more than I trust myself. It's just a Hebrew expression meaning that he obeys God's commands. And Abraham obeys here even when it's hard. Even when he didn't understand. Even when it's excruciating. I wonder if our kids see that in us. See this obedience to God even when it's hard. Even when we don't fully understand. Even when it does, doesn't make sense but we're just trusting God because we know that he has proven himself to be good and faithful and powerful and we know that he will provide. Knowing those things are true, do we trust God when it's hard? Answers. When it's not clear to us, 
The scripture is full of story after story where God provides for his people over and over again in the past. And that means we can trust him in the future. It means that that you can trust him with your future. And this is one of those times that God did provide for his people. Look at verse 13 and 14. Abraham looked up there in the thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed him as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The Lord did provide. Abraham asked, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham had answered, the Lord himself will provide. And instead of Abraham's son, God provided a ram. So God provides for his people so that we may live. What are we supposed to take away from this story? It's so confusing. It's so painful. It's so almost nonsensical. I want to be careful about how I talk about the scripture, admitting that God's ways are higher than my ways, but... Yuck! Ouch! It's okay to have those kind of responses. What are we supposed to learn? Usually we identify ourselves with Abraham. We put ourselves in Abraham's place and we think of the excruciating choice that he had to make and we ask ourselves, do I have faith like Abraham? And that's okay. We've been doing that in this sermon. The New Testament calls us to consider the faith of Abraham and calls us to the kind of faith Abraham had. So that is fine. That is a an acceptable way to read this story. You want me to switch to this one and keep going? Whatever. Okay. Isaac, we usually associate with Jesus. I hear guys preach that way that Isaac walked up a hill with wood on his back and willingly submitted to his father unto death. And Jesus. Walked up a hill, Golgotha, with wood on his back, the cross, and willingly submitted to his father. And yes, that is true. In that way, Isaac does point us to Jesus in his willing submission to his father. But hold on now. (laughs) There's a huge difference between Isaac and Jesus, right? There is a major difference. Isaac did not die. But Jesus did. What God asked Father Abraham to do and then stopped him, God did in sending his own son with no one stopping him. You see, Isaac's not a picture of Jesus as much as the the ram in the thicket is a picture of Jesus. So who's Isaac in this story? (laughs) You are Isaac. I am Isaac. We live only by the grace of God who provides a way for us to live. And this narrative moves us to gratitude for the Lord's grace in providing a substitute so that we can live. The ram was provided by God to be a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. 
In the exodus from Egypt, these folks who've just come out of Egypt just celebrated Passover, and the Passover lamb was slain for every firstborn in their place so that the angel of death would pass over and they could live. When they get to the promised land, animals are sacrificed to pay the penalty for sin in their place so that the people of God can live and move before a holy God. And by the way, do you know where the sacrifices took place? You can read in Chronicles, Solomon builds the temple on Mount Moriah, on this site where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. Oh, that's why he made him go three days. Yes, that's why. And of course, in the fullness of time, the Lord provided the Lamb of God King Jesus, who died in our place so that we may live. (laughs) This account of Abraham points us to the Christmas account. This story about Isaac points us to the Christmas story. Think about it. John 3.16 mirrors this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His son. Only son whom he loved, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. Jesus died for our sin, but oftentimes in the busyness of life, as we live and move and have our being, we say, well, how does that really make a difference in my life today? Sounds ungrateful, but, but, but we think that way. When we're older, we don't say that anymore. I, I think about Tim Keller, a pastor in our denomination, tells the story of counseling a, a girl in high school. And she says, yeah, 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 I'm glad Jesus lived the perfect life and died the death that I should have lived. And then uh, Ray, was raised from the dead and he took the punishment for my sin. But what does that matter if I don't have a date to the junior-senior prom? We think that way too, don't we? I'm glad that, that God did that for his people in the past. I'm glad Jesus died for my sin, but, but I don't have enough money to make it to the end of the month. I'm glad Jesus died for my sin, but I'm not progressing in my career in the way that I had hoped. I had hoped that I would be married by now, or I would have a different marriage than what I have, that I would have kids by now, or different kids than the ones that I have. In this account comes to us and assures us that it may not be in the exact way we hoped or dreamed, but God provides for his people. It's 22. The Lord provides so his people may live. And that means trust God to provide for us today. So I call you to trust in him, to live your life connected to him, To let all you have and all you are revolve around him. To trust him with all you have and all you are because he has shown himself to be totally trustworthy. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Let's pray and ask God to help us to believe that. Heavenly Father. Grow our faith. Use your word in the lives of your people. Convict us of things that we hold on to and will not give up for you. 
I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and that this season of the year we would learn to trust you more with the everyday things of our life. Even so, we thank you for giving us your son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.